Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. We're going to be uh, concluding our series on close encounters uh, this morning. And look, I can't go past last week when Pastor Danny preached. And I just want to encourage you, all of our Sunday morning preachers are available online. You can always get hold of them. But uh, Pastor Danny's message last week was particularly powerful. And for all of those who wrote names down, we've been praying for those this week. We'll be praying for them ongoingly as uh, we're believing for breakthrough in mental health and anxiety. And so throughout this series, we've been looking at those who had a close encounter with Jesus and how that changed their lives. Because the impact that Jesus had on people cannot be denied. However, not all of those experiences were positive. We read in Matthew 19 about a rich young ruler who came to Jesus saying, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, oh, look, just keep all the commandments. And at this point, the rich young ruler doubled down. Side note, doubling down on your own goodness with Jesus, not usually a good idea. So the rich young ruler doubled down. He said, no, no, I've done all of those things. And Jesus said to him, well, then how about if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And the Bible says that the rich young ruler went away sad. He had an encounter with Jesus in the flesh and yet still went away sad. We also see in Matthew 22, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they got together and they tried to gang up on Jesus. They collaborated, they colluded, they decided that they wanted to ask three different questions of Jesus. And in Matthew 22, the Bible records that when Jesus answered, the Pharisees and Sadducees were amazed and astonished at Jesus' teaching. And then later in the same chapter, it says, from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Why? Because the Pharisees and Sadducees, they met with Jesus there in the flesh. And yet they went away embarrassed because the teachers and the religious elite were schooled by Jesus, the son of a carpenter. They went away afraid because they were worried that they would lose the support of the people. You see, encounters with Jesus show us what's in us. You see, we've already spoken about the Apostle Peter and Martha and Mary and the encounters that they had with Jesus. And the reality is, is that when we come to Jesus honestly and openly, he'll meet us where we're at and lift us up. But like the rich young ruler or the Pharisees and the Sadducees, when we come to Jesus with an agenda or we come to Jesus trying to put ourselves into God's place, 
then we'll be disappointed, frustrated, sad, embarrassed, and afraid. And often how we, how we approach Jesus that actually helps us and shows us what's really in us. Today, we're going to look at someone who was actually on both sides of this equation. We're going to be looking at Saul of Tarsus. You see, Saul of Tarsus was born in approximately 5 AD, which makes him about the same age as Jesus. The Bible says that he was a Roman citizen. It says that he was faultless before the Jewish law. It says that he studied under Gamaliel. Or if we want to put that in today's language, what it means is I studied at Harvard Law. That's what it means. It says that he was a Pharisee, which makes him the church police. He went around making sure that everyone followed all the rules. It says that he was zealous, which means he enforced those rules enthusiastically. It means he was actively looking and seeking for people to do the wrong thing so that he could jump in there and bring correction. You know, the Bible actually doesn't record if Saul was directly involved when those Pharisees and Sadducees got together to try to trap Jesus. But timing-wise, probably says that he could well have been part of the group trying to trap. And even if Saul wasn't part of that group, certainly he would have known the answers, the result that happened. We first see Paul in the Bible, sorry, Saul in the Bible in Acts chapter 7, where he is present and giving his approval for the killing of a young man named Stephen, who was one of the early leaders of the church, who was being stoned to death. Stephen's crime for being stoned to death, he had the audacity to stand up and say, Jesus is the Messiah. He had the audacity to stand up in front of a group of religious leaders and say, no, no, Jesus is the one that you've been looking for. Jesus is the one that you've been waiting for. Jesus is the one who can save you from your current circumstances. And the religious leaders of the day hated to even hear that. And so they picked up stones and stoned him while Saul watched on. And so this morning, we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 9 as we see what happens to Saul. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 9 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous thoughts against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. 
Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink. I just want to pause here just for a moment. Because I think that when we read the Bible and we've been reading it for a long time, sometimes we can skip over the significance of what this moment looked like for Paul. Saul, is, he's got a plan. He knows what he's doing. He's on his way to Damascus. He's going to find Christians and he's going to drag them back to Jerusalem to try to persecute them. He's traveling. He's struck by a bright light, falling off his horse and taken into a city where he's told what he must do. What's Saul feeling in this moment? Confused? That'd be a good place to start. I could see and now I'm blind. That brings confusion. He's confused because this person that speaks to him claims to be Jesus, but he knows that Jesus is dead because he was part of the Pharisees and the religious elite that made sure that that happened. So it's just going to be adding to his confusion. He was disoriented, being blind, don't know where to go, which direction, what, how, how am I going to get there? He would have been dependent totally on other people and yet resistant at the same time. He's there as the leader. He's being taken by the hand to be led somewhere and yet I don't want to go along the way. Or maybe it's just me because like Saul... I have also experienced what it's like to be blind for three days. And it was a weird and strange experience. Like Saul, with me, it happened from a blinding light, but it wasn't Jesus. For me, it was a barbecue, a gas barbecue erupting in a fireball over my face, which actually fused my eyes shut. And in that moment, having had that experience, the confusion is total. Where am I? What am I doing? How do I move from here? Where are the obstacles in my path? What are my options? Totally dependent on someone else to come along and help me and lead me and guide me. For me... It looked a bit different. But like with Paul, God took that moment and revealed himself to me. After a few days in hospital, I was able to see again. I found a Gideon's Bible in the top drawer of my bedside table. And as I was there, the Bible just fell open to 2 Chronicles 16.9, which says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Was my experience the same as Paul's? Absolutely not. But I was blind for three days, as was Paul. And after those three days of being blind, God spoke vision to both of us. And I'm here today to tell you 
Whatever you're experiencing today, I know that Pastor Dan has already prayed for us this morning, but whatever your circumstances are, whatever you're facing, the same God that encouraged me, the same God that spoke to Paul is here to say the eyes of the Lord are ranging throughout the earth, looking to strengthen those who are fully committed to him. Whatever you're facing this morning, God is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you, just like he was with me, just like he was with Saul. Let's come back to Saul's story. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on State Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about the man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised and after taking some food, he regained his strength. You see, from this moment, Saul of Tarsus becomes the Apostle Paul. He becomes responsible for taking the gospel to the Gentiles, preaching and planting many churches, writing letters to the churches and to church leaders, which have actually become most of our New Testament. And this morning, I pray that I can do justice in just a short amount of time to a man who helped kickstart the early church. And so let's jump in. What can we learn from Paul's experience? Well, first of all, let's learn that Paul met with the risen Jesus frequently. Why is this important? Well, because unlike the other characters that we've looked at in this series up until now, this is the risen Jesus, not the physical Jesus. And why is that important? Well, it's important to us because that's the experience that each of us gets to have. We may not have the same circumstance, but we can have the same experience. We all can come together and meet with the risen Jesus. You know, Paul had an extraordinary salvation experience. And I don't know about you, but my salvation experience looks very different to Paul's. And sometimes when I look at it, I'd say, you know what? My salvation experience might even be quite boring compared to Paul's. But can I encourage us this morning? Let's not compare. For me, I was 10 years old. I got saved in the back of a converted semi-trailer. 
It was traveling through Pinaru at the time. A semi-trailer had been decked out like a church building inside. They rolled into town. They put on a week-long program. And I literally got saved in the back of a semi-trailer. Is it like Paul's? No. But who else can claim that experience? It might have been boring. It might have been different. But we need to stop comparing. Our stories are here to encourage one another, to spur each other on to do better things. You know, my salvation experience wasn't a persecuting the church to growing the church experience. My salvation experience wasn't rags to riches. But like everyone else who has said yes to Jesus, my story is a unrighteous to righteous story. My story is one where God took a sinner and made them a saint story. And everyone who says yes to Jesus has the same story. And so let's not compare, but let's spur each other on. You see, regardless of the start, we need to meet with the risen Jesus frequently to be able to sustain us as we go through this journey. We know that the Apostle Paul studied the Scriptures deeply. He was teaching, preaching, and planting churches. We know that he prayed profoundly. Many of his prayers are recorded in Scripture. And when I get stuck on what should I pray, what should I do next, then one of my go-tos is to go back to Paul's prayers and start praying those over my circumstances. Paul encouraged us to pray without ceasing. He encouraged us to pray in tongues. He's encouraging us through his story to worship constantly. The story of Paul and Silas in prison, not letting their circumstance dictate their relationship with God, their experience with God. And we see Paul and Silas singing and worshipping loudly, even though their circumstances were against them. Again, our experiences may be different, but our need to meet with the risen Jesus is both common and critical for all of us. What else do we see? Paul actually chose to be transformed. You see, when I was in hospital, God revealed himself to me in a significant way, but it was always my choice as to what to do with that. I could choose to ignore it. I could choose to let it fade from my remembrance. And like Paul, he had the same choice. He met with the risen Jesus on the road, but it was his choice to continue to be transformed. You know, we have a saying, or there is a saying, that God can do anything. And that's true to a point. God can do anything. What we mean by that is that we're saying that God is not limited by anything. But there are actually some things that God cannot do. God cannot deny himself. He cannot work against his own character. And so because of that, God can't lie. God can't cheat. And when God created humanity, he gave us all free will. And God will not override our free will. 
And I know that I've had some conversations around this passage of Scripture with some people going, hey, look, Saul on the road didn't get a choice in what was happening. And to that, I would say, that's not true. Because we all have a choice. You see, Jesus appeared to Saul because he wanted to protect a church that needed his help. And he appeared to Saul, he outlined a vision, he outlined a plan, but it was always Saul's choice. And we see from the remainder of Scripture that Paul chose to live with God. He chose to live a life of faith and not fear. He'd met Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, and experienced the love and the compassion that each and every one of us can experience today. And so again, I encourage you, just as Paul chose to be continually transformed, how about we make that choice now as well? Let's choose to keep putting Jesus first and becoming more like him. We see from the scriptures that Paul had to prove himself. Paul had met with Jesus. He was a changed man, but unfortunately, most people didn't know that. He was taken to Damascus. And Ananias was called to go and speak with Paul. Do you know what? I don't blame Ananias for his response. You're being asked to go to someone's house and speak with and to lead someone who is coming to try to persecute you. You know what? I think that if I was in Ananias' position, I'd think much the same, right? I think that for me, it would be like, oh, I know what you're asking me, God, but are you sure? And when God said yes, I'd be going, are you really sure? Because this man has a reputation and it's preceded him. Do you know what? We actually see the same thing further down in the same passage of Scripture in Acts 9. As Paul was preaching in Damascus, the Bible says, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? You see, just because you've met with Jesus, just because you've changed, doesn't mean that others necessarily understand or see that yet. We see that Saul went back into Jerusalem. And, and in verse 26, it says, When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he was really a disciple. Paul had to prove himself. And when it comes to proving yourself, there's a couple of different ways that Paul had to do that, and I recommend and encourage us to do that as well. The first thing is, is it just takes time and consistency. Sometimes when we've had an experience with God and things shift in our life, for others to recognize it, to others to see it, it just takes time. And consistency. Just keep doing what God has called you to do. The other thing that I see from the scripture is that Paul had 
a couple of advocates. He had a couple of people who stood alongside him and said, hey, I can testify to the changes that have occurred. When Paul was in Damascus, Ananias was there with the church saying, no, 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 this is the experience that we had. When he was in Jerusalem, it was actually Barnabas that stood up and said, no, no, this is the experience. We know what God is doing in his life. And so when it comes to proving yourself time and consistency and find an advocate who's going to help you on your journey. We see that Paul always fought for freedom. Paul's mission was to the Gentiles, which was the non-Jews, which is really cool because I'm part of that legacy and so are you. And Paul always was fighting for freedom. It was Paul who clarified which Jewish customs should be followed by the Gentiles. Why is this important? Because there were some 613 laws that the Jewish people were following. And some people, some missionaries to the Gentiles were trying to make people Jewish, not make people Christian. And imagine what that might have looked like just for a moment. Imagine being a missionary and going, hey, look, come to Jesus. He can show you God. He can forgive you of your sins. You can have a relationship with God the Father. And everyone goes, yeah. Now, all the men, would you just come over here? Because we just need to circumcise you quickly. I don't know about you. I'm really grateful that Paul fought for our freedom. In Acts 21, Paul goes to the Jerusalem church. And in verse 25, it says, As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision. They should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Because of the Apostle Paul, 613 laws became four. He fought for our freedom so that we can experience the risen Jesus. Paul had a passion for practice. He was a great theologian. And I personally love the book of Romans. It's so dense with riches of who God is and what he does. But even then, he had a passion for practice. You see, the Apostle Paul wasn't so much about what you know, it's about what you live from what you know. And for the Apostle Paul, he knew that right thinking led to right living. And so therefore, it was the right thinking was important, but it was the right living that was the evidence, the proof of our right thinking. Have you ever read some of Paul's letters and gone, I don't get that. You're in good company. Because even the Apostle Peter said the same thing. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures for their own destruction. I'm very grateful for Peter 
being able to normalize that for me. But let's not forget what Paul was all about. When we read the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters is all about identity. It's who we are in Christ. It's what Christ has done for us. It's the foundation that we now stand on for the first three chapters. The last three chapters are all about our response to the first three chapters. It's all about making sure that our right thinking comes to right living. Because our Christian faith was never meant to be a theoretical exercise. And the last thing this morning is that Paul lived and died on mission. Paul was passionate about everything that he did. It didn't matter where he was, he was on mission. He never allowed his personal circumstances to stop the mission. When imprisoned for his faith, he wrote letters to the churches, the same letters that we read from today. In Acts 27, as Paul is on a prison transport ship, we see that the ship encounters a massive storm and is being sunk. And it's Paul that brings faith and hope and life to everyone who was on the ship. In his later years, as he's waiting to be executed, we see him writing letters to other church leaders saying, hey, don't give up the fight. Keep going. This Jesus is worth it. In conclusion this morning, and as the band starts to play, in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so this morning, I want to ask us practically, how are we going? How are we going this morning? How frequently are you meeting with the risen Jesus? How much do you want to be transformed? How are you bringing others on the journey of your transformation? How are you bringing freedom to others? How are you outworking your faith? And are you still on mission today? You see, Paul was an amazing guy but it was only because of an encounter with the risen Jesus that he was able to do what he did. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.